This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Candice Burke and as always, I'm joined by my business partner, Felicity Thomas. Felicity here. So if you're actually new to our show, well, thank you for stopping by. Now, Talk Money To Me is a podcast in which Candice and I chat about the markets, various factors and data points that are influencing economic conditions. And we hear from experts in our industry and also bring you some investable ideas to consider. We do that to the T at Talk Money To Me here. And that's what we're going to be doing today for you guys. That's right. So we're actually having one of your favorite episodes, the Autopad episode. So in this episode, we actually bring a few stock ideas to consider. Now, because we're in the midst of a volatile Aussie reporting season, we're also going to make this episode extra informative by also updating you on the market data and what it all means for your investment portfolio and investment decisions moving forward. Right now, as we look to the outside, we're really seeing three developments that are warranting attention in the Australian macro environment, as well as we'll provide you with some interesting comments on US equity strategy. So if you haven't gathered by that long intro, basically we're going to talk about the markets, what's really kind of pivoting the sentiments around it, both in the Australian context and the US context. And we'll also talk about some exciting investable ideas. So before we dive into all of that, please remember our chat today is not considered personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at Shore and Partners. As always, please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. So the content on this podcast is general in nature. And as always, go out and seek your own professional advice or reach out to us. We'd always welcome a chat. Uh, before you make your investment decisions. So we're recording today being the 22nd of August, 2023, and the facts are known at the time of recording. All right. So to kick off our chat today, we're going to jump straight into market sentiments. So CB, what's going on in the bear camp this week? So the bears this week, you know, really there's quite a few points to go through. So just really want to kind of reiterate each point here because they are important. There is more upward pressure on rates. We're seeing treasury yields are tracking to almost 16, 17 year high to the levels we haven't seen since 2009 and 2007. So if you look at the two year US treasury, that's now over 5% and change. And the 10 year is also tracking up to the mid four digits. So this is a big signal to the bond market that we haven't seen these levels since the GFC. That's important. Secondly, the July FOMC minutes, the takeaways were more hawkish and a bit more, you know, skeptical in terms of the vibe there, let's say. So really, Felicity, all eyes, as you know, are on power for the end of this week where he catches up about the market and the Fed and does the very important, you know, Fed signal. Uh, at the Jackson Hole Conference. So remembering last August, his negative sentiments really plummeted. So what 
he does say is important. Yeah, we're definitely waiting to see what he says there. It would be very, very interesting. Yeah, so almost like insert, dum dum dum. it could be that moment on Friday. <laughs> Let's see what yeah. happens. I mean, I hope not. We'll I see. hope not too, but look, he's he's pretty powerful in what he says. So then another point is if we look at the facts. So there is some technical deterioration within the S&P and the NASDAQ indices. They're all trading below their 50-day daily moving average. This is a bare point that I've kept mentioning for the last like three or four updates we've done here. So sort of getting worse. Another interesting point, you probably never heard of this before, but it's called the CTA, which is the Commodity Trading Advisory. This threshold has recently been triggered to new highs. So that's putting more focus on the downside convexity, which means fancy finance terms or jargon, let's debunk that for us. It's the measure of the curve of its duration or the relationship between bond prices and yields. So risk reward really between bonds and equities. And this is signaling a stretch somatic long positioning. That's it, a bit of curvature there. A bit of curvature. <laughs> Don't you love all these financial terms? I know. Essentially not looking fabulous. And then China has been a big talk, um, talking point, I should say, for this week. So there's growth concerns. That's really ramped up in July in terms of the activity and the data we saw there. It's broadly you know, below expectations and a depressed market and wealth firms have missed payments on investment products. The Finch analyst, you know, did warn the US banking industry and sector that they're at risk of sweeping rating downgrades, more to come following the recent downgrades um, and warnings from Moody's. So that's not great for the US economy. The seventh bear point, and stick with me, guys. Yeah, you've got a lot this week. <laughs> yeah, I think they're kind of outweighing the, the bulls at the moment. So the seventh point being the UAW contract demands from big three automakers. Um, they're playing into the concerns this week that they have a negative operating leverage risk to earnings and higher wages, so compression of margins there for the automakers. And the final two points kind of leads into, you know, more concern on Fed um, and valuation kind of commentary. So there's multiple sell-side firms are flagging downside risk to current bottom-up census. And also the latest Fed study has said that us as consumers, particularly in the US, obviously, because this data is very US-centric, we have exhausted and depleted our savings. So bom, 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 we've run out of cash and rates are getting higher. So not great um, overall is what I'm going to leave you with here, Felicity. I've counted nine negative sentiments. There's probably more out there, but they're the nine that stood out to me the most. So let's flip it. You know, can you convince me what are the bulls saying on, on the market this week? All right. Well, I've only really got seven bullish points, but I think I want to kind of just highlight a little bit with regards to volatility in the market at the moment. Obviously, this week and last week, there's been a flurry of trading in the contracts known as zero days to expiration. Um, that's actually caused a bit of a jarring acceleration of the latest week's decline and acceleration there. So bit volatile. So we should see more volatility this week, as well as we had last week. But I don't think it's the be all and end all for stocks. And I do think that I'm still going to be very bullish. And I'm <laughs> going to be positive here. I've got seven. Um, let me see if I can sell you. So my first one is there's better US growth outlook with the Atlanta Fed's GDP now model forecasting 5.8% expansion in Q3, which is up from the initial estimate of 3.5% in late July. Very positive there. Number two, consumer resilience theme is further underpinned by upside surprise in July retail sales and a fairly upbeat commentary from retailers like Walmart, Target and Home Depot. The former Home Depot actually raised its FY guidance. 
Number three, disinflation traction as New York Fed Consumer Survey found inflation expectations down across the one, three and five-year time horizons. Number four, Goldman Sachs actually reiterated its above consensus 2023 EPS forecast, pointing to better economic growth and a less pessimistic margin outlook. That's interesting. Before you move on, I just want to interject here to add to the bull case. I did see that if you strip out housing in the US inflation number, it's pretty much now got a, a high two in front of it. So it's it's really come down drastically, um, which is a good signal for, for markets and growth. So let's hope that's the case. Are you jumping camp? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> at, not at, point at all. Four already. <laughs> I like to be in the I like to be in the middle, as you know. But look, these these are great points because you can really see both sides of the camps, right? Sorry, continue on. Number five. That's it. Can't always sit on the fence, C B. All right, number five. <laughs> we've got multiple firms flagged some slippage in positioning following recent concerns that it flipped from a contrarian tailwind to headwind. So sentiment also slipped from recently very elevated levels. Number six for us is Emma. A in the headlines as US Steel rallied on multiple unsolicited offers and reports of additional interest. So that was very, very interesting. And number seven, if I haven't convinced you yet, dampened government shutdown fears amid reports McCarthy and Schumer will pursue a stopgap bill. So I've got seven points versus your nine. <laughs> You've done a great job. You haven't convinced me. I think I convinced you at number four. Oh, I strengthen your <laughs> argument there, I must say. Look, we're not on the fence here. Our opinion is that, like we said before, we are cautiously optimistic stay invested stay invested because the risk reward analysis there it's you're just gonna you know miss out and it doesn't mean run to you know boring old cash look at bonds and fixed interest look at potentially going longer in the duration and fixing in um in the yield curve because it is attractive you know one thing phyllis and i noted the other day with one of our investors was that the risk of like a nab hybrid is pretty much the same as if you lock in the debt of a bank here in Australia, which is interesting. So you take less risk for the same return. So, you know, cautiously optimistic is what we would say. Yeah, I think that's right. And look, if we look at the Australian economic and market signals, there's actually three key developments that are really warranting our attention at the moment, which we mentioned earlier. So number one, which is actually kind of on your recent point, the AU 10-year bond yields actually define the RBA's acceptable inflation path and push higher to a point above equity dividend yields. Um, So yeah, bonds are quite attractive for investment. Number two here is the trade weighted currency is approaching post-COVID lows, which is really an important factor when we're thinking about 2024 inflationary pressures. So think forward. And number three here, which we're going to delve into deeper, is the trade relations perspective with China trade and the developments that are progressing incrementally. Yeah, you can't see everyone, but I'm crossing my fingers because that is a really crucial for our Australian economy. So we are watching that uh, development really closely. So I guess on the conditions, it is really keeping um, fund managers and investment managers of money really busy at the moment and you the investor. So just a quick side note here, if you're looking for more daily market updates, a really great tool we've developed uh, is via uh, stories on our Instagram page, which is at Talk Money To Me Podcast. Always would appreciate a follow and a like, but essentially we love to give you daily market updates to help you really get a sense of what's going in the market in real time. So coming back to the topic du jour, Oh, wow. I love a little slip of French and the shameless promotion. (laughs) But honestly, seriously, we do need more followers and our daily market updates before the open and the close are really, really interesting if you want to know what's going on right now. So we don't sound desperate enough, but please follow us. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, all right. So let's move on. Okay, so let's delve a little bit deeper here into kind of what all this means that we've just gone through for you, the investor. Look, there could be a message here in the bond market like I kind of flirted with earlier when I said that. So we know that long duration bond rates globally have been pushing back to retest and break the current cycle highs. And interestingly, the increase above the 4% thresholds for markets in the US and Australia, this is the first instance of shrugging off the concerns by equity investors. Yeah, we saw that the ASX 200 really enjoyed a 6.5% rally from July lows, even as AU bond yields expanded to now be pushing above 4.3% levels. Yeah. And then, you know, like we kind of talked about in the last couple of episodes for City, it's pretty normal for it to be pretty bad in the markets for August, which is kind of what's happening now. And to your point about volatility earlier, it's not a scary thing. It's normal. Five to 10% corrections is not that bad. So look, from what the data is saying, the equity rally has really given back, um, you know, around 80% of gains and valuations have started as we've seen in August track down lower. So in terms of overall market forward PE, it's trading around 14.9 versus historically 15.8. So that's interesting to note. Um, Could be more buying opportunity coming up. And interestingly, the bond yield gap to dividend yield gap has closed. So what we mean by that is the 10-year duration bond is showing about a 10% spread above the ASX 200 dividend yield. Yeah, and I guess all this really reinforces to us is that earnings execution rather than multiple expansion should be more important to near-term stock returns as outlooks are calibrated and tested as results to continue to hit the tape. It is a very busy time at the moment. Yeah, translation, Aussie reporting season, it's really about the traction of corporates hitting the ground running. You know, under promise and overbeat is always a good thing for companies. So if we also turn to another point that's really, you know, caught a lot of investors' eyes at the moment, particularly Aussies, is uh, dropping Aussie dollar. So if you're overseas right now tuning in, well, shit, excuse my French, <laughs> it's not good times for you with a weak Aussie dollar. But what's if we kind of unpack it all, what this means on the finance terms is after showing a bias push earlier in the year, like it almost got up to 70 cents against the US on two occasions in June, July, the Aussie has now caught a downdraft or a downward momentum trend if you look at the conversion rate across the, you know, the crossed and trade weighted measures, it's falling sharply over the last kind of weeks and days. Yeah, and that is a cold downdraft for anyone travelling. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm lucky that I'm back. So, you know, the carefully, I think on here, the carefully calibrated dovishness of the RBA really arguably stated the recent trend, but with the faltering data out of China and ensuring debate around rising growth and deflation risks, it's really put the pressure on the AUD back to sub 64 cent levels, which we actually hadn't seen since October 2022. So we're now well below the five year average, which is the 70 cents uh, that you kind of mentioned. Now, should current levels start to become period averages, a translation benefit for earnings will emerge for offshore USD earners and upside to consensus expectations. So that's something to think about there. Yeah, so if it does remain depressed, you know, what comes to my mind in the Aussie large cap spaces, the names of like Amcor, Borrell, CSL, James Hardy, to name a few, because they all have significant offshore earnings um, capacity in their balance sheet. And look, what, what another point here is um, it's not that bad if it does stay 
stay below 70 cents, like a little bit depressed because we are a floating Aussie currency, I should say. So we do move with the ebbs and woes of the economy. And I guess the inverse relationship here is for importers where hedging profiles will likely pressure 2024 gross margin outcomes. So I think there's a lot to consider here in terms of the falling Aussie dollar. If you happen to have USD money, it might be a good time to think about flicking it over to AUD if it makes sense for your personal circumstances. But we see this as a critical level to assess the Aussie dollar I'm talking about, to assess the inflationary bias currency we have for the outlook in 2024 and beyond. Because on average, a 10% decline in the trade-weighted AUD currency will boost inflation by, you know, one kind of point or percentage point over the next one to two years. Yeah, so I think that's definitely something to watch when we're looking and forecasting out to 2024, 2025. And finally, our point on China. So China since 2020 has imposed hefty duties on Australian imports, as you would all know, barley, wine, lobsters and beef. However, during this calendar year, it seems like the tensions are easing with the barley tariffs lifted and expectations that the wine will also be lifted very soon. Fingers crossed again. So I guess this is super interesting to me because these developments feed into a lens where both offshore and local investors are watching the progressive, I guess, thawing tensions in the trade market uh, with China relax. So I think about, you know, treasury wine as a stock here in Australia. So that'll be really interesting to watch. And I guess to your point about Bali, it looks like tourism and education is becoming more of a friendly relationship, which is good for our economy. And I guess we will closely see if other commodities lift up in the medium term uh, with the China relationship. And the risk here is to watch how China's domestic slowdown and challenges affect the ultimate pace of recovery in our non-resource export category. So we'll actually aim to give you an update on this as it develops in the coming months. Now, turning back our focus to investable ideas, but before we do, let's actually take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we are back. So the recent market sell-off has really been presenting some great long-term buying opportunities. So CB, what investable idea are you liking at the moment and bringing to our Autopad? So there's quite a few that have caught my eye, but for this edition of the Autopad, I want to revisit a large cap Australian stock we added to the Autopad back in late 2022. So I'm revisiting Macquarie Group. The stock code on the ASX, if you're not aware, is MQG. Massive market cap sitting around 65 and change billion dollars. 
nice. It's an old market, darling, right? So it listed on the ASX back in uh, 1996. If you're living under a rock, Macquarie is a giant global investment bank uh, and it's super diversified across multiple regions with its largest proportion of revenues coming from the Australia and American market, about 30 and 35% each, followed by the emerging Asian Pacific market. So that wraps up the rest. So here really, Macquarie will do well with our weak Aussie dollar. Because a lot of offshore earnings. 100%. When I said earlier that point of, you know, I was thinking about CSL and Borrow, I didn't want to say Macquarie because I would have given it away. I know. And I was thinking, oh, she forgot Macquarie. But luckily, you brought it up here. <laughs> <laughs> nah, didn't forget it. So if you're a friend of Talk Money to Me, you would remember that I spoke about Macquarie and why I was keen on it back in November of 2022. The share price, if you had listened to me, you would have picked it up around $182 per share. So you'd be down about 6.5% at the at the moment if you, if you were holding at that point. On capital, but not including the dividends, right, that you would have received. So Exactly. Thank you for strengthening my argument. Love it. No worries. So not dramatic in terms of capital, right? But I also want to point out that in terms of the global bank here, it's really not kind of taken off, guns are blazing like other sectors of the market has this year to date. So the stock sort of gained about 3.5% overall. Not massive. Yeah, that's right. And look, we know market conditions have been tough for corporates and the banks, yeah, are, are kind of struggling as well at the moment. So it's not unusual. It's actually pretty good that they're up considering. Yeah, and if you compare it to peers, they're up pretty much across all of their major business sectors as well and major competitors, apart from the bank um, pure comparison of like NAB and ANZ. But anyways, yes, to my point, the main reason why I want to revisit Macquarie is that in terms of long-term growth, I think this global investment bank will do well and the current volatility is seeing a great opportunity for investors to buy in or add more if you already own it. And here are a really quick few reasons why I say that. So firstly, Macquarie Bank provides, as we all know, banking, financial service or advisory, investments, funds, all the usual gambit that a bank does. And we know that the IPO markets have been closed or very slow to kick up, but that tide is slowly turning around. We're seeing that in the corporate space now. So I think that they can expect to benefit naturally when corporate listings and activities pick up, you know, in the six to 12 months kind of forecast from now. Secondly, Macquarie delivered super strong results, I would say, uh, during its FY22 update, driven by structural tailwinds in areas such as, if I focus on the strong aspects, particularly their green energy, renewables and infrastructure space and business. So the push towards decarbonisation is one of the bank's key growth engines moving forward. And we've got to remember that Macquarie, you know, in terms of its global infrastructure reach and sector to all four corners of the earth it's so large so they've been smart here to move ahead of the game and push forward in the new green energy solutions third point is going back to their basics the banking and financial services arm and asset management teams they have delivered strong growth, which is also important in the midst of what's been going on in the markets to date. And this has the most kind of market beta sensitivity to, to what's going on in the economy and their business is holding up. And the fourth point, again, coming back to their you know new drive engine of commodities and global transformation into the infrastructure and push for green energy, its commodity and global market, so CGM team, continues to be a strong global leader. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you've got four points here. Any other final comments for me? So if I haven't convinced you yet, the final point is actually a 
bit of a negative, but I see it as a positive on the fact of the market reaction. So what I mean by that is the team at Macquarie, you know, did deliver softer market expectations and an outlook going forward. So in terms of their first quarter 2024 market update, it did flag softer than expected net profit contributions from three out of the four divisions due to weakening trader conditions. So on the face value, that seems bad, but they're clever here because they're pricing in the weaker expectations and reality of what the economy is telling us uh, into the market. So those should be, quote unquote, no shock here. And is this a classic case of under promise, over deliver? Um, I mean, I think that's something to think about here. So it's really key that there's obviously good people leaving the company and that's paramount. We've said it before on Talk Money to Me. So where to here really for the share price? Well, you've perfectly set me up. So as I mentioned, the market in my view is quite vigilant at the moment around the absolute level of earnings, you know, looking a little bit softer for Macquarie given the reset to the CGM business. And like I said, the Macquarie's, you know, beta during this period of time of volatility has adjusted. So that's all good. So in terms of looking forward, FY24 consensus for EPS growth from Macquarie has been cut substantially, about 20% um, since that first Q1 trading update. But the share price is, you know, it has reacted, but not dramatically. So I think the next catalyst for us to look out for in the markets is the first half 2024 results due in later this year, 3rd of November. So we'll be looking at that closely. And to your point, if they are kind of on track to what they've signaled, then it's going to be, you know, a brush of fresh air, then it's not going to be any surprises there. So I think, you know, confidently, this all leads to a conservative, constructive 10 to 15% upside catalyst in the share price on current levels in the market. Given that the stock has re-rated nicely, it's allowing you a great chance to pick it up again or buy for the first time. As we recorded this episode this morning, the stock opened around $170 levels. So I think, Felicity, to add to my final kind of point here is it's a good value pickup at the moment, in my opinion. You know, if you can ideally get it, you know, with 160 something levels, even better, from a PE perspective, it's looking cheap at 16.1 times. And I think the market agrees overall. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. You've sold me here. I think that Macquarie is a staple, right, in an investment portfolio. It's kind of like having a good pair of skinny jeans in your wardrobe. Like, <laughs> love you it. do need to have, I think, Macquarie in your portfolio long term moving forward. And Candace and I love times of volatility. This is where we pick up solid businesses at great prices. So what's the upside on Macquarie Group if we picked up around these levels? So if you picked it up today, for example, you're looking at a conservative, you know, 12% upside on capital with the forecasted dividend yield of about 3.8%. So we're looking around 15.5%, you know, overall for an annualized return. But the market assumption here is only about a 10%. So I think there's more upside than what the market's uh, kind of forecasting in. And the most bullish call here is Morgan Stanley. The analyst there believes 22% upside, reaching a $209 price target. So double digits, add it to the watch list or, or your own um, radar there. I think you won't regret buying Macquarie. Yeah. I mean, double digits for a blue chip, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I get, I get excited. I get excited. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with that in mind, Felicity, what stock are you bringing to this week's Autopad? All right. It's going to sound like a 
brand new idea as they've actually done a complete rebrand. The company is called Quoria and the new code is QOR on the ASX. Now, Quoria is a technology company in the rapidly growing global parental control and cybersecurity market. Now, there aren't too many cybersecurity companies listed on the ASX, so it shouldn't be too hard to guess what this is. I'll give myself a little drum roll. All right. Quoria is the former family zone cybersecurity. Now, the market cap is $252 million. It's currently trading between $0.23 and $0.25. Cents, and my gosh, it has been a bumpy ride for the share price over the last three years. We've had lows of $0.05 cents during COVID and highs of $0.85 cents in 2022. Yeah, it's really been a bumpy ride for this stock if you do hold it in your portfolio. So not for the faint-hearted. Felicity, let's talk about the investment thesis now for the business. Run us through it. So we'll get straight to it. Quoria really is making an impact. I mean, their entire business is focused on protecting and supporting the digital journey of children, which I think is more and more important in this new age. I mean, 20 million kids use it across 25,000 schools, 5 million parents. It's across 100 different countries. There's also uh, about 38% of UK schools use Quoria and 19% of US districts. I think that's key. They haven't even tapped into most of the total addressable market there. So there's huge, huge growth. Um, they're number three, I believe, uh, for cybersecurity companies in this space globally. I think they've got some really aspirational targets that I believe they will achieve because they continue to execute what they say they're going to do. And I've got really, really high conviction on this. Okay, yeah, no, definitely agree with you. As having a two-year-old daughter, she's not at school yet, but it is always in the forefront of my mind. And I'm sure every parent's, you know, you need to control them from the sensitivity of what they could be seeing on the internet, right? So let's talk about the business case then. So you mentioned your high conviction. So what are the fundamentals that you're looking for? A lot of companies talk the talk, but don't actually walk the walk. So Quoria has walked the walk. I mean, the first is really the profitability is going to be achieved in the next 12 to 18 months. The second important point and aspiration here is the 20% EBITDA margin on their monthly run rate is what they're focusing on. And the third is is that they've got aspirations to be the largest and most impactful safety and wellbeing provider globally. So they're thinking big and profitable. We love it. That's it. So why I'm buying it now, although it's been a very bumpy ride, they've had a remarkable three-year journey. So we'll take you back. If you look at FY21, they've done 14 mil annual reoccurring revenue. FY22, 61 mil annual reoccurring revenue. FY23, 97 million annual reoccurring revenue. And as of the 31st of July, they're at a huge inflection point right now because they've recently achieved 100 million of annual reoccurring revenue. And I think it's important to note here that 50 million of that was actually organic growth. Which is fantastic. That is just amazing that they've managed to do that in three years. It is amazing. So although the share price hasn't reflected their growth, growth. Um, I think this company is really doing what they've set out to say they're going to do. So this 100 million annual reoccurring revenue represents 64% growth since 30 June 2022, which I think is huge. Now, what this means is based on our calculations, the 100 mil annual reoccurring revenue actually puts Quoria at cash flow break even right now. Yeah, that is impressive. And I would maybe argue that it's not really reflected that they're being cash flow even break even right now, I should say, in the market. Perhaps that's why the share price is 
really not picking up. Yeah, and it just really blows my mind. But hey, look, it's a really great opportunity for new investors to enter at an attractive entry point or existing investors who may have entered at a higher entry point to actually accumulate more shares, dollar cost average. Because uh, I think this company is one that you're going to want to hold on for the long term, uh, even though it has been a bumpy ride. All right, so if I haven't convinced you yet, let's go into some more key metrics. So the NRR which is the net revenue retention metric, has actually improved from 90% in FY21 to consistently over 110% since then. So to me, that demonstrates their cross-sellability as well as they've implemented some serious price increases on renewal. Another point here is they're increasing their ARPUs, which is the average revenue per student. So this has actually increased from $5.10 at the end of FY21 to $6.40 as of FY23. So keep in mind here that they've actually got a target of $10 per student in the medium term. So that's another metrics that we need to watch out for to see if they're hitting that target. And the final thing here is their group service margins are improving from around 70% to close to 90% in FY23. So I guess looking ahead, and I agree with you, like they're all fantastic metrics and achievements to date for the business, but the share price is depressed. So what would be the upside that you're seeing in the near term or the long term in terms of valuations for for the business? Yeah, absolutely. They're really underloved on the ASX. So in my opinion, Quoria really is proving they're a global force in the online and student well-being. So I'm going to stick to my initial thesis that it's a company to hold for the long term. It's now trading at really a 70% discount to emerging cloud comps, which are at 4.7 times. I am expecting a material re-rate or potentially they do fit the bill of a typical tech takeout, which we saw with Tesserant. You know, we've spoken about it before. Think about it. Significant drawdown in share price. It's down about 80%. A large revenue base. The company is approaching cash flow break even, which they should be, you know, technically right now. And they've got a huge global footprint. So they're set up for success. They really are set up for a success or potentially a takeover. So buy more. Our short price target is 44 cents, but that's not actually been updated since May. Consensus is around 35 cents. So that's about 49% upside. That's great. We need to see what comes out from analysts after this recent 100 mil annual reoccurring revenue. Now that's a wrap on our Autopad Insights. We really hope you enjoyed Macquarie Group and Quoria, which was the old family zone cybersecurity. But before we finish up here, we did promise some comments on US equity strategy for investors who like to invest internationally and we don't like to disappoint. And we also like when you listen to the whole episode. So Candice, take it away. So really, if we look at the scene, the past year, recession concerns have dominated the investment dialogue. We all know this. I'm not saying anything out of turn here. So given that stocks tend to underperform well in advance of an economic downturn, recessionary signals are particularly important for equity investors and returns at the moment looking forward. So remember back if you studied any economic subject in your university or schooling days, equities and companies and stocks are forward looking. So they are kind of signaling, right? They're they're kind of crystal balls, if you think of it that way. In the past, and what we've seen of late, these signals are currently mixed and investors have anchored on strong first quarter and second quarter GDP data market points and a robust labor market pushing stocks higher. So if you dialed into one of our recent episodes, you know, this might be sounding familiar on our topic of behavioral finance. We are anchoring as a market here on certain data points. 
So further on this, there are actually three metrics most cited by equity investors. The first one is the yield curve. So historically, recessions begin 11 months following a curve inversion. Within the three-month to 10-year spread inverting in October 2022, it's actually unsurprising that many investors fear a recession in the near term. An alternative analysis focusing on the curve's projected uninversion based on Treasury futures implies a recession does not begin until... 2025. That would be fantastic if that's the case because we can kind of dodge that bullet until then and maybe things definitely do change between now and then. A second point which the markets love to get carried away with is the labour market. So recessions typically start with a spike in unemployment. That's not happening this time around. This metric does not rise in advance of a recession's onset. So it's a lagger. And so it offers a limited predictive value here, not such a great crystal ball like the yield curve. However, initial jobless claims, which is a big kind of macro point in the US, that has begun to rise in the past 12 months prior. So I'll say that point again, initial jobless claims are one to watch because when they begin to rise, it's generally 12 months prior to a downturn. And weekly claims have remained flat for the past 18 months, which is inconsistent with a near-term contraction or recession. And then our third point here for international equity strategy is the ISM. So over the past six recessions, the ISM manufacturing has been at or below 50 in all but one instance. So while July's reading of 46.4 is consistent with a downturn, we find many historical false positives in which depressed ISM levels did not foretell a recession. And I think one other important thing here is remember Economic metrics do not capture potential macro shocks, which we had Russia, Ukraine, the COVID crisis. Yeah. I mean, the list goes on over the last few years. Yeah, very unpredictable, all of those circumstances to some degree. So that is very true. And I guess what we're trying to do here is just aid you with the tools to really make the best assessment when it comes to your financial investments and, and you know, portfolio decisions. So get you thinking, right? We want to get everyone thinking. 100%. So that concludes and I guess wraps what we wanted to talk about here on today's episode of Talk Money To Me. We hope you enjoyed the show. Before we sign off, just a quick note, don't run away too quickly because all Always remember what we've spoken about today should not be considered personal financial advice, nor is it a financial product. As always, go out and seek your own professional advice before you make your investment decisions. And feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email, which is displayed in our show notes below. Like Candice said earlier, follow us at at Talk Money To Me podcast for daily market updates. Until next time, au revoir. Talk Money To Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. 
In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the host of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.